Yahoo Sports has been a leader in fantasy sports for nearly two decades, and it's great to see that they recently introduced Fair Play for Daily Fantasy. Yahoo is helping to level the playing field for sports fans with strict contest entry limits and veteran labels for highly experienced players so you know who you're playing against. Yahoo Sports is offering our listeners a special offer. Go to the Yahoo Fantasy app or visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy and use promo code R-I-N-G-E-R, that's ringer, with your next deposit to receive a one-time $50 deposit bonus that is earned over time as you play. Plus, first-time depositors will receive a $10 credit to enter contests. So remember, that's promo code ringer on Yahoo Sports Daily Fantasy. We're also brought to you by ExxonMobil. Refuel with new Synergy Gasoline. Developed in the same ExxonMobil research labs as F1 Fuels, New Synergy Gasoline has been through and passed some of the most stringent tests ever developed, making it Exxon and Mobil's most tested fuel ever. Synergy Gasoline is engineered with seven key ingredients, including dual detergents to help keep your engine cleaner. New Synergy Gasoline, only available at Exxon and Mobil. Energy lives here. Visit exxon.com or mobile.com for more information. MLB show. My name is Sean Fennessy. I'm an editor at The Ringer. I am joined by Sam Shuby, also an editor at The Ringer. Hey, gang. Today on the MLB show, we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to Sam and my heart, which is the New York Mets. The pained, wonderful, horrible, lovely, exciting, terrifying, mystifying <laughs> New York Mets. Sam, where are we with the New York Mets? Because it's been kind of a confounding season, and I think the last two weeks in particular have been very uh, specific to the pain that we've been talking about. So walk us through what's been going on. Yeah, it's been a rocky one for uh, for our Metsies. Uh, let's start two series ago. The Mets uh, took on the Chicago Cubs, who they swept in the playoffs last year on their way to the World Series. Uh, we all know that didn't go so well, but you know, this time around. Again, they swept the Cubs, who uh, apparently are the best team in baseball history, so feeling pretty good about that. It was shocking, wasn't it, to watch them knock that team around? Uh, it, it was a delight. It was, a, a, like, the good version of combat flashbacks, I think, <laughs> where it was like, all right, it's, it's you know, Shea in October again. Um, and then the Nationals showed up, and the Mets took the first one off them, and then they dropped three in a row to head into the All-Star break. During that All-Star break, the Mets had four guys sent to the All-Star game, uh, Terry Collins was managing because he was the manager of the World Series team last year for the NL. Uh, and then none of those Mets played as former Met and current national Daniel Murphy uh, went two for three, I think, and drove a stake into all of our hearts. Strafing the opposition. I know it's it's complicated. So not only did they lose three to four to the Nats, but the Mets got word that Matt Harvey was shut down for the season. Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, the leading light of my Mets fandom for a long time, despite all the complications, despite all the illness, despite all of the blown ninth innings in the World Series. Um, you know, he went out there and took the ball. Give him that shot. He took the ball. <laughs> God bless him for that. I, I love Matt Harvey. He's obviously had a very poor season. I think he was four and ten with a, an ERA of five plus. What was it like to watch Harvey for you this year? And 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 what do you make of the rotation without Harvey? Sure. So. It's been uh, extremely frustrating to watch Matt Harvey this year. Uh, I think no one would agree with that sentiment as much as Matt Harvey would. Uh, dude seemed to be, you know, by turns befuddled, confused, furious, and I don't blame him. He was not pitching great, and I can't tell if it's a relief or a terrifying fact that maybe this was because he has a terrible nerve and blood disorder in his shoulder. Uh, so 
going forward, it's like, okay, this guy has had Tommy John. He's had some injury struggles. He's, you know, he... Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. He he has what is what is described as thoracic outlet syndrome. Thank you. Which is a, a, a terrifying sounding uh, syndrome that essentially means his arm could become... Uh, detached from his body at any given time i'm thinking like driftwood maybe yeah if it, <laughs> it feels like it and given that you know it, his career is potentially in jeopardy it seems more likely that he will be done for the season and potentially have to make another comeback not unlike the way he did two years ago after he had tommy john harvey the reason that i was always very drawn to him was because he had a kind of clinically old-fashioned New York thing about him, which was not just hand me the ball, but I'm the best, I'm a star, I date supermodels, I strike batters out, I throw hard and I throw inside. And sometimes I pitch so hard I get a nosebleed on the mound. That's right. Well, some have speculated he has gotten nosebleeds for other reasons, but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about baseball. And Harvey not being on the team is, is, is complicated. It changes a little bit of their identity. It changes a little bit of the complexion of the rotation we thought the team was going to have. Yeah, I mean, we went into the season with uh, all these young studs on the cover of Sports Illustrated and, you know, the centerpiece of various articles saying, all right, they've been to the World Series. What is next for these young supermen? And uh, it turns out that young pitching is a great resource in baseball. It is also extremely precarious. So true. Um, because everyone's elbow is falling off. I know we've seen now, so Noah Syndergaard, who has replaced Matt Harvey in the hearts of many Mets fans as, as the primary ace and superhero, is also having some injury problems. He has a bone spur in his throwing arm, uh, a bone spurs rather, as does Steven Matz, another young prospect on the team. Jacob deGrom obviously has a little bit of an injury history. He has had what I would define as an up and down season thus far. Uh, Sean and I both also have bone spurs in our elbows uh, out of solidarity. That's right. We've been throwing very hard. Every, every day after work. Just we, the, the remote at the television. That's right. Mostly. <laughs> so given that, I, I think what we went into the season thinking was going to be a phenomenal strength is now potentially a weakness, which is terrifying to imagine. Um, what do you make of the Thor injury? Do you think they can survive a Thor injury this season? Um, I don't think they can survive a Thor injury, but I also don't think Thor can be injured. Uh, that, that dude is six famous foot, last words, Sam. I, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, dude is six foot six and he's made out of marble. Uh, he insisted on telling all the beat reporters that he did not in fact have a bone spur just cause I guess he was sort of ashamed at the idea that he could ever be even sort of injured. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. Just rub some dirt on it. Get back out there. Noah. One of the best stories about, or one of the best aspects of him being shut down for injury was that. The team became concerned because his fastball velocity went down from 99 to 95 and then to 93. So when they saw that he had thrown a fastball that was 93 miles an hour, they were terrified, which is a, such an amazing indication of how powerful and important Thor is. Yeah. That said, the, the prospect of losing him for the year, I think, in a lot of ways signals the end of a playoff pursuit. On the other hand, Bartolo Colon, 43-year-old <laughs> Bartolo Colon, has been we think. A, a, we th maybe he's 50 maybe he's 20 ha has been a salvation it's uh, been unbelievable a sub three era and doing it with like 12 variations of one pitch right throwing 87 miles an hour sometimes 88 largely grooving it down the middle <laughs> I, I i'm not, i'm quite mystified by his success um do you still like watching bart is it enjoyable he doesn't have the whiz bang of noah i think it's it's uh beautiful he he is 
I think a lot gets lost in the, the slapstick of Bart, which is, you know, the shaking the belly, the helmet flying off his head when he swings. That dude is a craftsman. Uh, and he is really, really good at making batters think there's a big difference between an 87-mile-an-hour fastball and an 89-mile-an-hour fastball. And they look stupid for it. And that is a really cool thing to watch. Uh, yeah. not, not so much pyrotechnics, but, uh, you know, he works with a little chisel. He does have, he does break out his sword every now and again, though. And, <laughs> and this season he hit uh, his very first home run, which has got to be a highlight for, for Mets fans around the world. Absolutely. So, you know, reflecting on the quality of a, of a rotation is that we thought that was going to be our strength this year. Sure. It has been a modest strength thus far. But one it's thing that fine. you and I were talking about is the fact that the Mets actually have uh, some credible infield play this season? Yeah, this is really a delight, uh, at least in the Shuby household. Uh, my, you know, my dad, my brother, they're all very excited that uh, finally, uh, God bless Ruben Tejada, but Ruben Tejada is out of town. <laughs> uh, and we have the extremely competent, extremely adult duo of Azdrubal Cabrera and Neil Walker holding it down out there. I think I saw they have the fewest errors of middle infielders in the National League. It is such a delight to see those guys go out there turn a double play without, you know, making you sweat about it and then get up to the plate and uh, sack a couple home runs too. Yeah. They're sort of the Bartolo Colon of middle infields. You know, <laughs> there's like nothing very flashy about what they're doing. They're very consistent. Their range is not profound. They, they're not a wow team, but they are extraordinarily competent and competence has been at a premium in the middle infield for the Mets for a long time. Yeah. I, you know, and they show up every day. Right. And one of our uh, foundational infielders, uh, the captain, David Wright, has had a tough time doing that. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what uh, the, the state of Wright means to you. Yeah, so David Wright is, is my all-time favorite baseball player, and so this is a complicated time to be a David Wright fan because he is a 33-year-old man with spinal stenosis. He has a bad back. I have a bad back, and I'm a 33-year-old <laughs> man, and I can tell you it's very hard to do things when you have a bad back at 33, and he's asked to play baseball every day, and it's not really something he can do anymore. And, and well, and they he had to fuse some vertebrae in his in his neck on top of that. If, if, I, if I don't have that uh, incorrectly, yeah, he's the Peyton Manning of, of the Mets, unfortunately. But hopefully not the 2015-16 Peyton Manning. Hopefully the 2013-14 at worst. Um, but Wright is in a very difficult spot, and the Mets are in a very difficult spot with him. He's in the middle of a seven-year, one hundred and thirty million dollar contract. He's by far the highest paid player on the team right now, with the exception of Ioannis Cespedes, and he does not have value. He has no utility, even though he is the captain in the face of the franchise. And it's strange to say this, but he is the most offensively accomplished New York Met of all time. He, he, if doesn't, if he doesn't hold all of the records, he holds most of them. And Dave Kingman is frowning at you. Well, <laughs> or striking out somewhere, I suspect, but nevertheless, it's, it's hard to imagine a, a Mets team without right. But by the same token, when I, in the, in the 15 or 20 games that he played this year, he didn't look like a competent Major League Baseball player. Well, and you feel for the guy because you, you read these stories about everything he has to do just to get on the field or not even to get on the field, just to sit on the bench. We're, we're talking about, you know, like the worst, most annoying version of Pilates and yoga for upwards of three hours before the game, just stretching and stretching and stretching. And you, you respect the guy's hustle. You love that he wants to get out there and be the guy for the team. But you got to think this can't be so easy for so much longer for him yeah i know speaking of not easy and david wright's generation we are reunited with a, a a player on this team that that is a big part of our mets fandom in the last 15 years and that's jose reyes who obviously is a very complex figure this season um had an off season in which he was 
accused of domestic violence and is now the perception of a player who was once so joyful and so exciting to watch has been totally reoriented. And he was designated for assignment by the Rockies in the offseason after that incident. No charges were pressed. Nevertheless, the, 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 the story is, is quite complicated and hard to talk about. Looking back on Reyes joining this team, are you conflicted at all as a fan watching him? How how does it feel to see him playing third base or shortstop here? Yeah, I'm extremely conflicted. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's a real bummer. Yeah. Uh, and he's playing well, too. And so you see the fans going crazy, and they're happy to have Jose back. This is a reunion that's been talked about ever since he left when right. you know the team decided not to offer him a contract and the Marlins snuck him away. Uh, so it's, it's really weird and unsettling. And... The fact that he's performing makes it all that all, all that more uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's I, I I suppose helpful sometimes to like be reminded that there is a world outside of baseball, and of Reyes showing up there, you know, every every other day or every day is is a reminder of that. And so yeah, we get to spend some time thinking about it. But yeah, it's tricky. Uh, on the other side, the guy he's competing with for playing time uh, is sort of sneaking into Mets fans' hearts as the like post Reyes cult hero, and that is Wilmer Flores. That's right. So Wilmer last season famously uh, learned that he was going to be traded in the middle of a game. Wilmer had been with the Mets for his entire career, and when he learned this news, began to cry. I think we all did a little bit. We all did a little bit. A tear in our hearts and our throats. And And then we got over it, and we said, all right, so you know he's getting traded for Carlos Gomez. Sure. Exactly. Lo and behold, Carlos Gomez was not healthy, and frankly has been trash ever since he was almost traded to the Mets. And a chain reaction happened for that team where Wilmer stayed the Mets acquired Jonas Suspedes, and things took off, and it led to a, a magical summer and fall until it wasn't in October. But, you know, Wilmer's still with the team this year, and given some of the injuries that they've had, particularly David Wrights, he's had an opportunity to play. And I, frankly, he's had not a very good season up until about two weeks ago, right around when the team acquired Reyes, right around when it seemed like his playing time was going to get cut short. And now he has decided to turn into Hank Greenberg, which is a fascinating thing. You know, sometimes you take your lunch pail to the ballpark and you have a six for six day. It's it's astounding. And, you know, Wilmer Flores is not what you would classically define as a great ball player. No, this is the guy who last year we threw out at shortstop and, and you felt bad for him. You thought this guy is, is maybe not an everyday professional shortstop. What is going on with the Mets such that they can't field a team where he doesn't have to do something he's not great at. Yeah, and I feel like depending on somebody like Flores or a 32-year-old Reyes or a Lucas Duda who has been injured but is a, a talented, although inconsistent slugger. Mercurial. Mercurial, exactly. That's the word that they use on baseball podcasts. <laughs> depending on players like that, has tricked a lot of Mets fans over the years. And I think if you look at the numbers this season, you know, they are last in the league with runners in scoring position. They are last in the league with runners in scoring position in two outs. A lot of those confounding things. It, it, it feels as a Mets fan as if they're always last in the league in categories like that. And even when we are living in a time when they are in contention and seem like a very credible ball club, there are a lot of things that they still don't do well. And I think part of that is because of depending on the Floreses of the world, even depending on the Neil Walkers of the world who, you know, Walker came over uh, in a trade after the Mets decided not to retain Daniel Murphy. And and we'll talk about that a little bit more with Anthony DeComo of MLB.com later in the show. If we have to. If we have to. However, there is one bright, true light on this team. And his name is Yo. My God, Yo. And Yo, Yo Suspedis has been so good, so shockingly good and consistent that I I don't know what to think. I I don't I can't recall the last time the Mets had a player who actually lived up to a contract. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was two, three years of Johan Santana until his elbow also fell off. Uh, that was fun while it lasted. Uh, you know, Carlos Delgado for a minute, maybe. Sure, underrated Met. And now we're looking at 10 years ago. Um, yeah, Cespedes is just a, a real delight. Uh, he, you know, has been thought of as a power hitter who strikes out too much and who can only play left field and is sort of limited. He shows up with the Mets last year and, and Terry Collins says, well, so you play left field, right? And he says, I'll play center happily. And, you know, sometimes that means he literally kicks the ball with his foot. But for the most part, Yo is just out there sending moonshots into the goddamn triple deck. It's incredible. He's been one of the five or ten best players in the league, which is uh, has been surprising to me despite the contract. And, and that'll be something that the team will have to worry about uh come November because he is on a one-year deal with options. I mean, theoretically, it's a three-year contract, I think, for $75 million. But if he continues apace, he will likely opt out and seek even more money at a higher guaranteed number. And I think that's the contract, the five-year, $150 million yo contract that we'll all be aching to sign and is in all likelihood a mistake. But. You know, uh, we'll be talking about his spinal stenosis in 2021. <laughs> I, I, I only wish we didn't ever have to get to that point because <laughs> watching that dude uh, just rake right. at City Field is is a true delight. So let's just spin forward a little bit. We've talked about what we've seen so far. What do you, what are your expectations for this team? There's six games out of first in the NL East. They're I believe locked into the second wild card position right now. Although there are teams surrounding them up and down. What, what's gonna What do you think is gonna happen? Jeez, uh, I mean, what what do I think is going to happen has nothing to do with what's going to happen because what I know is going to happen is, you know, something frustrating. Uh, that's just how this team works. On, on the other hand, you know, I don't know. I, I have a good feeling about these guys. They like to show up to work and, and, and they play baseball. Uh, they need to hit a little bit better, uh, but that's not out of the realm of possibility. I think uh, the bullpen has been dynamite. As we've said, guys like Neil Walker, Dribble Cabrera, uh, even James Loney have, have showed up and, you know, one more mirage though. I, I caution against in the way that I caution against Wilmer, I caution against James Loney <laughs> slugging 600 through 20 games with the New York Mets. Sure. I've seen yeah. these lies before. Um, and so, yeah, I, in all likelihood you're looking at, you know, maybe a wild card spot if everything breaks, right. If Syndergaard is healthy, if Matt's is healthy, if those guys can, you know, pitch through the pain, which is, like why make them do that also is just as a side note I, I don't totally get the Mets philosophy with injuries where you know if if, if it's not going to work roll it up you know I think that the, it, we have lived through seven eight years of pure pain and, and obviously the ownership situation with the New York Mets is complicated but I suspect that the Wilpons seeing sensing a window here yeah are are encouraging that window they're well, encouraging you know, our, 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 sticking our guys... your body through that window <laughs> Uh, or just reaching your hand through it, grabbing as much cash as you can and, and pulling it back out before the window closes. That just leads uh, to more blood. I, I think those guys got a taste of that playoff money last year, and it felt good. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, maybe an uncharacteristic move from Sandy Alderson, who has, to this point, I think we can agree, done a pretty incredible job putting this team together, given the the hand and limited finances he's been dealt. That's right. I, Sandy is a fascinating figure now in the in Mets history. He's crossed the five-year mark as the general manager of the team. I think he's largely credited with really turning the ship around at a time of great tumult. And I like Sandy. He, I, I think if he were a more secretive or less pleasant person, 
people would be uh, even more critical of him. I think, you know, he is responsible for that David Wright contract. He is responsible for some very curious moves over the last five years. But I think both because he has a wry wit, is considered a, a real old hand, you know, is, is Billy Bean's mentor, yeah. is responsible for constructing some of those great A's teams over the years, is very entrenched in the MLB, uh, you know, firmament. Sandy gets a pass on some things. He obviously also has had a very complicated personal life, uh, was was diagnosed with cancer last year. And so given all of that, do you, do you look back on the Sandy era thus far as a huge success, a modest success? Where, where does he stand for you? I, for me, it's a huge success. Uh, I think it's sort of impossible to overstate the financial strictures the team was in when he showed up. Uh, this was a team that was in the bottom third, bottom quarter maybe of payroll and had to be for the first uh, two or three years he was there. Uh, and he did things like trading Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler and, and trading R.A. Dickey for uh, for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darnot, a trade that my brother will remind me once a year I was totally against. Oh, man. I was so for it and I was so <laughs> excited. I love but he, it. He was a literary knuckleballer, Sean. He was a literary knuckleballer who they dealt for a fireball-throwing <laughs> Norwegian superhero and a core catcher you know who can't stay healthy but sometimes hits and and the and the 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 tone poem of travis darno will be something that hopefully we'll we'll be able to explore on another show it's got a real sadness to him sam are you feeling good about the rest of this season yes or no (laughs) yeah yeah i like watching these guys Uh, you're so young and optimistic i am not (laughs) i suspect they will finish 10 games under 500 (laughs) uh because i've seen this story before with that said we're going to have Anthony Tacombo join us now and offer some real insight and not just some uh, woe and pain. Yeah, we're done crying, guys. Let's take a quick break for our sponsor, ExxonMobil. Introducing new Synergy Gasoline, Exxon and Mobil's most tested fuel ever. It's been through and passed some of the most stringent tests ever developed. It was developed in the same ExxonMobil research labs as their F1 fuels. New Synergy Gasoline is engineered by chemists who understand the science behind keeping engines clean and know the complexities of modern car technology. That's why it's formulated to keep modern fuel injectors clean, while still working great on older engines. New Synergy is also engineered with seven key ingredients, each with their own function to help make Synergy Exxon and Mobil's best fuel ever, including dual detergents to help clean your engine and corrosion inhibitor, designed to help prevent rust from threatening your engine and its performance. Refuel with New Synergy Gasoline today, only available at the almost 11,000 Exxon and Mobil stations across the U.S. Energy lives here. Visit exxon.com or mobile.com for more information. We're also sponsored by MeUndies. Whether you're wearing a suit or sweats, you spend almost 24 hours a day in your underwear. But instead of making a statement, like Superman's tights under his everyday clothes, your underwear is probably boring. MeUndies is here to change that. Every pair of MeUndies is made from sustainably sourced modal, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. Nothing can describe the fit and feel of MeUndies, but once you try them on, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. And if you don't love your first pair of MeUndies, they're free, no questions asked. MeUndies has dozens of styles and limited edition prints to help you make a statement with your underwear, whether anyone can see them or not. Remember, Superman. Shipping is free in the U.S., and you can save up to $8 with the MeUndies subscription plan. Get the subscription or a single pair. Get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com backslash MLB show. That's MeUndies.com backslash M-L-B-S-H-O-W for 20% off your first order. And joining us now is Anthony DeComo from MLB.com. Anthony covers the Mets for MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. We are here, Sam and I, discussing the state of the New York Mets 
and that state is complicated right now. Um, I'm wondering at this stage, the all-star break halfway through the season, what your assessment is of the club so far. <laughs> it is, I think complicated is a great word and maybe uh, even a very political word because it's, you know, there's two ways to look at it. And I guess it depends on how optimistic or pessimistic a person or a fan uh, or just a, an observer of this team that you are, because uh, on the one hand, this is a team in which countless things have gone wrong for the Mets so far in 2016. Uh, you know, if you put out a list before the season of things that could not go wrong for this team, uh, so many of them already have, whether it's the injuries, whether it's guys just not performing, uh, whether it's the Nationals taking a big step forward and becoming the team that uh, I think Mets fans were afraid they could be. Uh, a lot of those things have happened. And yet, you look at where they are, uh, they're leading one of the wild card spots at the All-Star break. Uh, things could be a lot worse, and it, it seems like they could go off a cliff at any moment, and they very well could. Um, but without getting into too many of the specifics just yet, uh, you know, things are okay for right now. Where they stand is okay. Now it's just a matter of can they sustain that feeling of, okay, we're not, we haven't fallen off that cliff yet. Can they sustain that over the rest of the season despite missing some pretty key parts, despite those things that did go wrong? It's kind of an interesting situation. They're on a, on a precipice a little bit, and it's going to be a really fascinating second half um, mainly because I'm not sure there's a whole lot out there that they can do to change the state of the team, to change the composition of the team, to change what these guys are. Uh, so it's going to have to come from within. It's going to have to come with uh, mostly with what they already have. And uh, that's going to be a very tall task, a very difficult task, uh, but certainly no more difficult than what they achieved last season. Uh, so it's going to be a really fascinating second half when you look at it from from those two perspectives. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the trade deadline and what we can expect from them. But, you know, Sam and I are, are Met fans and in sincere pain. But I, I'm, I'm wondering what's been the most positive surprise for you from the team so far this season? Um, that's a good question. The most positive surprise. You know, I, I hesitate to call this a surprise, but... The fact that the fact that Johannes Cespedes is, is here in the first place, I think, was a bit of a surprise to everyone, the Mets front office included. Us as well. And yeah. the fact that he is is still just an awesome, awesome baseball player, um, and really hasn't dropped off very much. I mean, he has had his periods where he hasn't been incredible, uh, but by and large, uh, he's been one of the best hitters in the National League. And uh, this is coming from a guy who wasn't always that way, uh, even when the Mets acquired him. Last July, uh, I think he was very much looked upon as a nice power hitter with some significant flaws in his game. Uh, you know, outside of the occasional defensive laps, he really hasn't had flaws in his game with the Mets. Um, uh, no, he's not a perfect player, but he's a really good player. And without him, uh, these Mets might already be buried. So uh, I think um, just the fact that he has been as productive as he's been, uh, and he's you know he's been bitten by injuries as well, but has managed to play through really all of them for the most part. He's only missed a handful of games despite uh, three different injuries to three different parts of his body. Uh, I just think what he's done overall, what he's meant to this offense, what he's brought to the offense, well, while it's tough to say a really good player is surprising that he's really good, I think in this respect it kind of is that way. Well, these sort of moves usually come up Jason Bay for the Mets, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's 
They seem to have one guy every year. Alejandro Diaz is the guy this year. They seem to have one guy every year that they sign in the offseason uh, and, you know, just doesn't produce and, and becomes that lightning rod for, for fans' ire. Um, Cespedes could have been that guy if he didn't produce, but uh, certainly he's been quite the opposite. People love him. He's, he's been producing pretty much nonstop since he got here, and it's been uh, almost exactly a year now. Uh, he's been everything for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy who's, who's fun to watch every day. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, which is that you don't necessarily see the Mets having a ton of options moving forward, and that's why we've got someone like we, uh, Deaza, De, De you know, getting up there and looking sad and take, uh, taking a couple swings. Uh, why is that? What What is the Mets' sort of outlook going toward the trade deadline? Well, I think there's a couple of factors at play. Um the biggest one is the fact that they spent a lot of their bullets last year. And they're at a point now with their farm system where, you know, the, the Cespedes trade is so interesting for a million reasons. And I think one of the most interesting reasons is the fact that people look back now, and obviously Michael Fulmer has developed into one of the best young pitchers in, in the American League. Um, hurts to hear that. And, it really hurts uh, to hear that, Anthony. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but But look... If you put a gun to Sandy Ellison's head right now and said, would you do that trade again, he would say yes. He would honestly say yes, and I think most people in that front office would say yes because of uh, a couple of things. A, what Cespedes gave them. Uh, they're not getting to the World Series without him last year. And B, ultimately, they did wind up re-signing him, and that certainly wouldn't have been possible. They never would have touched Joanna Cespedes this offseason if he hadn't already been a member of their organization. Um, so that trade did a lot for the team. Uh, but that trade and the other ones that they made, whether it was getting rid of some of those middle-tier prospects, the John Gantz of the world to the Atlanta Braves, and so on and so forth, uh, they stripped their minor league system of a lot of interesting pieces. And they're at the point now where, yeah, they still have a couple left. Um, you know, you could probably turn Ahmed Rosario into a pretty big deal. You could use him as a centerpiece. You could use Brandon Nimmo uh, as an interesting piece in a bigger-type deal. Um, but if the Mets did that, they're really kind of putting themselves in a situation where they're going to be rebuilding, essentially. You're committing to a rebuild once this window closes because there's just not enough young talent left after what they already have. So I think Sandy Ellison would be very hesitant to do that. And the other side of it is I'm not sure there's a lot out there this year that can legitimately help. Uh, we said that to a certain extent last year uh, because that's the landscape of baseball these days with everyone thinking they're in it still in July. Um, but the fact of the matter is what can help the Mets? Uh, excuse me, what can help the Mets? I mean, they don't need a big outfield bat like they had last year because by and large their outfield is producing. They could certainly use a starting pitcher at this point, but are you, again, are you spending the rest of your farm system to get that? Uh, is it worth it when at this point you might be hunting solely for a wild card spot if the division seems more or less out of reach. Uh, I just think there's a lot of factors at play here. And the Nationals are kind of key to the whole thing because last year the Nationals weren't weren't this good. And the Mets could see the division in their reach and a lot of things went wrong for them, but it was still there for the taking. And they reached out and took it. Well, this year it's not necessarily there for the taking. And I don't think it will be because this national team is better and they're playing better. So it, it, it's just really hard for me to envision the type of uh, franchise-changing or at least season-changing trade that the Mets made last year. I don't see him doing it this year. 
Yeah, it really hurts to imagine the idea of a starting pitcher being their number one need right now at the deadline, given that we walked into this season thinking, oh, you know, Bart's going to move into the bullpen in July when Wheeler comes back and things will be gravy rolling into the playoffs. Um, So given all of those things, Anthony, do you think that Sandy Alderson will regard this season as a lost year or at best a second wild card positioned year? Or do you think he'll make a big move and and deal some of those prospects? Uh, I think Sandy Alderson's MO, and and it's frankly a good MO to have. He's very measured in places where uh, fans by nature are not. And everyone wants the Mets to go out and make a big trade every year because everyone kind of uh, thinks that they're always in it. And that's just that's not unique to the Mets. That's all teams that have a chance. Uh, people like that big, sexy move. And frankly, I don't blame them. Um, Sandy Alderson's approach to team building is very different. He wants things that are sustainable. He doesn't want to uh, make a move just to help this year. He's not the type who's going to go out and get a bunch of rental players and load up and do it. He wants something that's sustainable for years down the line. So when a Curtis Granderson, for example, gets to the end of his deal or gets to a point where he's unproductive, you have pieces already in place that you can plug in. You don't need to go outside the organization and build and build because that's where you get to a point where the Mets were at uh, coming off the 2009-2010 seasons where uh, they had these huge contracts on the book and, on the books, and it was their whole team, and, and they really kind of had to start from scratch and got lucky in a lot of ways that some of these high-profile young arms in their system uh, turned into what they became. But you're at a you're at a point now where I think you almost have to make that choice again. Are you going to lay all your chips out there and say we're coming for you, Washington? We're going to make a big deal or two and see what happens. Or are you going to take a step back and say, like you just said, we've got a lot of injured parts. We've got guys who may or may not help us down the stretch. We don't know, you know if Steven Matz is going to make it. We don't know if Noah Syndergaard is going to make it, and so on and so forth. Maybe it would be more prudent to, yeah, not fold your cards, but look at this realistically and say, hey, let's give it a shot with what we got, and if we don't make it, we'll reload over the offseason and uh, try it again in 2017. In a lot of ways, you know, it it hurts to say it uh, if you're someone who has a vested interest in uh, what the Mets do, but it, it it's, might be the smart move is to say, look, we'll make we'll make our best shot at the wild card, uh, but with the division looking less and less realistic, uh, why press it? Why put all those chips in in the hopes of getting a wild card spot, and then maybe you lose that game because it's largely luck? And then what did you do it for? So it's a very interesting dichotomy. And again, I just. I think Sandy's going to do what Sandy does, and let's take the longer-term look and say, I don't think it's worth it this year to make that big, splashy move. So speaking of Sandy and speaking of splashy moves and speaking of that long-term outlook, I have a question that is going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Of the Mets' <laughs> young pitchers, how many of them will be on the team in two years, if you had to guess? <laughs> uh, you know... Essentially, what you're asking me is you're asking me to predict injuries, uh, honestly, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think there's a chance they, they go ahead and, well, actually, you know what, I, I'm thinking out loud a little bit now, and if you had asked me this question a couple of weeks ago, I would have said there's a, probably a pretty good chance Matt Harvey gets traded, uh, if not this offseason and next, but now that chance has been you know, stripped out from under them with Matt Harvey's uh, really scary injury situation and it's an injury that it's hard to predict guys coming back this isn't a tommy john this isn't even a shoulder uh, you know a orthopedic issue in the shoulder where you're talking about a, a time frame where you can put a table on a guy's recovery this is totally different and this is 
the range of outcomes is everything from Matt Harvey being back on opening day next year and the same old Matt Harvey to this affecting him for the rest of his career, for the rest of his life. So uh, it's a long way to say that his trade value has been sapped to near nothing, so I don't think they can at this point. Um, I don't think they're going to trade Jacob deGrom anytime soon because he's under team control for quite some time. Uh, I don't think they're going to trade Noah Syndergaard anytime soon because that would be suicide in a lot of ways uh, (laughs) for the team, for the fan base. It's just not something they can do. Uh, I don't think Steven Matz, you know, for everything he is, has a ton of trade value because of his injury history. So uh, just looking at it from that way, I think most of them are still going to be around. It's a matter of can these guys stay healthy? Um, Can they still be in a spot where they're producing two years from now? That, to me, is the question where I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't sit here and make a prediction because pitching is weird like that. Um, But I do think all four of those guys looking at the situation analytically a little bit and where they're where they're at, I think they're all going to be around. I think one thing that is safe to say is that Bartolo Colon will be starting 33 games in 2018. I think we all feel safe. uh, Yeah, all-star game too. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, also looking forward this year, I'm 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 very wounded about the way that Daniel Murphy has played for obvious reasons, and I, I'm just wondering, like Ted Williams. Yeah, given given what you've seen, especially in the final series before the break, do you see Murph hitting 360 this season and and slugging 35 home runs? Does that seem reasonable? And also maybe reflect a little bit on the decision not to retain him in the off season and what that feels like watching the team day to day. Yeah, um, you know it's funny. I'll answer the second part of that question first. There wasn't really a decision they never had any interest in retaining daniel murphy um and and yeah a large part of it was because they didn't believe in him and in what he was um i do think there was some thought around the mets that what he had accomplished in october wasn't necessarily a fluke that there was a large portion of genuine improvement in there um but the fact of the matter is his style of play throughout his career which is sort of that contact-oriented, um, old-fashioned almost, I'll call it. It just doesn't mesh with uh, what this front office values in hitters, uh, specifically you know, plate dis- discipline and power. Um, those are two things that Murphy never really showed a ton of in his career until late last year. So it wasn't much of a decision. Uh, there was a very brief window last offseason after the Mets had uh, kind of whiffed on Ben Zobrist, where it looked like it might have been possible that they could circle back. Um, but really, it, it never lasted for all that long, and, and Daniel Murphy was never going to be a Met. Now, did I think he was going to go to Washington and hit 360? Uh, certainly not, uh, but I think it's really hard to predict that for any player. So even going forward, uh, look, I think Daniel Murphy has a fascinating career arc. I think what he's done to uh, make himself from sort of from a low-round pick into a guy who was kind of a second-division regular into a guy who was a legitimate starter into what he is now, which is a genuine bona fide star, one of the better hitters in Major League Baseball. Uh, and doing most of that in his late 20s into his early 30s is really unique and really interesting. And I don't think enough can be written or said about about how he was able to do that and what he's still able to do. I, I think it's a fascinating uh hitter i think he's really good at at sort of the mental side of hitting and everything that goes into that he's an encyclopedia you can ask him about you know what did you do against julio tehran and he'll be able to tick off what he did against tehran this season he's just that's how his mind works um now if you ask me if he's going to hit 360 for the whole season i'll say no 
just because if you ask me that sort of thing about anyone, I, I think it's a really hard thing to do, and so many things have to go right, um, both health-wise, both performance-wise, all of the above, and it's just uh, odds are it's not going to happen. Um, but I do think he's an interesting guy, and I do think in retrospect, yeah, the Mets probably regret that decision, um, but it's hard to call it a decision because it was it was something they just never really pursued. See, I, I would agree with you. I don't think Daniel Murphy's going to hit 360 the rest of the way because I'm convinced he's going to hit 400. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> after seeing him last night, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure no one was more pained than Terry Collins sitting next to him on the bench watching him go two for three in an all-star game, which is uh, it feels very of a piece with this Mets season. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for uh, taking a little time and providing a little insight on the team. And uh, you can check out Anthony's work on MLB.com. And, uh, and just one more word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look at tickets for the Mets playing the Dodgers. That's right. The New York Mets the team that we're talking about on this podcast. With SeatGeek, you'll never waste time checking prices on other ticket sites. SeatGeek does that for you by pulling all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time and never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, MLB show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code RINGERMLB. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. Thanks again to Anthony DeComo from MLB.com, and thanks again to the Esdrubal Cabrera, to my Neil Walker, Sam Shuby. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm just uh, up here trying to put the ball the other way. This has been the MLB Show. My name is Sean Fennessy. Have a lovely day.